Greetings and welcome to another edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Lisa Fortier, DVM, PhD, Professor of Surgery at Cornell University, Ithaca, New York. Dr. Fortier, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. The topic we're going to be discussing today is regenerative medicine and some of the uh, current research in that field. Can you just start off by defining what regenerative medicine means to you? To me, as a veterinarian and someone who does translational research to help your human patients as well, regenerative medicine, regenerative therapies are any of the internal or external mechanisms that you can provide to your patients to try and truly regenerate new tissue, regenerate cartilage, regenerate a meniscus, uh, or even a muscle. All right. And how do we differentiate uh, regeneratives from orthobiologics, or is there a difference? There isn't much of a difference from what I study, but orthobiologics are more specifically uh, biologics, which are mostly taken from your body, like stem cells, platelet-rich plasma, bone marrow concentrate, and given back to you. And of course, ortho for us is specifically for our orthopedic injuries. Okay. Now, I know you mentioned you're doing research primarily in uh, veterinary uh, patients and specifically equine. Uh, Can you discuss kind of how that transfers over to a human patient model? For sure. The horse is actually a really great model. So when I study any regenerative medicine or orthobiologics in my laboratory and my clinic population, I keep an eye towards the importance of being able to translate those findings to your human patients. The horse is a great model for orthopedic conditions in general because they're high-end athletes, so they get the same athletic injuries, condylar cartilage injuries, meniscal tears, uh, tendinopathies, all those same sorts of things. And we also have an aging population that we're trying to keep healthy. So uh, geriatric sports medicine is a large part of our, not, not just the athletes, but the geriatric sports medicine as well, and weekend warriors. Uh, so very similar to what you struggle with in your patients. Absolutely. Uh, having established that, can you tell us where your primary fields of interest are in terms of your research and some of the results you've been seeing? Yeah, we have some really, really fun research in the lab right now. Uh, The more basic science mechanism that we're studying is uh, post-traumatic arthritis in the ankle. So we have this uh, really sexy model in the ankle where we can impact cartilage, and we know the stress and stress rate that the cartilage sees, and so we can really model a mild to moderate ankle sprain. So I know you're in the military, and you probably know that 15% of your non-combat injuries, 15% are ankle sprains. And of course, we know from lots of studies, but most recently from Scott Rodeo and AJSM, that these ankle injuries, in sports at least, at least 30% of them go on to have ankle arthritis. So we're modeling a mild to moderate ankle sprain in that the idea is how can we get everybody back to function earlier as well as prevent uh, post-traumatic arthritis 10, 20 years down the, down the lane. So we have this really cool model, and we are looking at things like very selected stem cells, so it's not this heterogeneous population that you get out of bone marrow. Uh, so selected stem cells as well as platelet-rich plasma we're going to investigate. So further than that, using the horse, then we can test the... Uh, pain and function of the horse. We can also check the synovial fluid for biomarkers. Uh, and then we can go on to test to say, okay, if you as a doctor say if your patient has an ankle sprain, you might recommend 
uh, non-weight bearing or ice or a boot or whatever it is, we can go on and test that in the horse to see if there's actually any scientific evidence for that in a mild to moderate ankle sprain. Wow, that's fantastic. Speaking of stem cells, can you kind of give us a brief definition of what you define as stem cells, what the different types are, what their potential uses are uh, for some of our listeners who may not have uh, as much of a background as as you do? There were some good talks today on stem cells in uh, the AMSSM has had uh, a nice regenerative medicine day today. Uh, The things in general that we can say about all stem cells that have changed since when we first started looking at them about 20 years ago is most stem cells act the same. And we used to think that if you, let's say you want to repair articular cartilage, we thought that if you took a stem cell, it would turn into a chondrocyte, which of course is the cell that lives in cartilage. And then that cell would regenerate the the tissue itself. And that's absolutely categorically not true. Then we thought, well, they Uh, When you put the stem cell into a joint, uh, people thought, well, they polarize. They can go down a reparative or an inflammatory pathway, and that was directly plagiarized from the uh, macrophage polarization scheme, Uh, and and that isn't true either. So now what we know how stem cells work, doesn't matter if they come from umbilical cord or amniotic fluid or adipose or wherever they come from, a stem cell needs to be activated or licensed in an inflammatory environment or from damaged tissue. And then that quiescent sort of stem cell turns into a super stem cell, and they secrete these vesicles that have reparative chemokines and growth factors. And then so those those chemokines and growth factors are important for repairing the tissue, but they also recruit endogenous local stem cells because every every tissue in your body has stem cells. It's just a matter of activating them and mobilizing them. And one step further than that, this really great study that just came out uh, actually shows that, uh, I should back up a little bit, one of the things that skeptics of stem cells would always say is, well, the stem cells don't stick around for very long, so it can't be the stem cells having the effect. And really, we've been held back by technology until very recently to show why they may have an effect, even though we know they aren't sticking around. Uh, So this study uh, that came out just recently shows that when you inject stem cells into a patient, it's the, the stem cells are activated, as I already said, and then macrophages or monocytes in the body essentially engulf the stem cell, and that's where all the secretome, all those microvesicles come from, are the macrophages and monocytes. So that explains a reparative effect and why we don't necessarily need to have the stem cells stick around for very long. All right, so it's not the stem cells we're actually injecting that are doing the work at that stage. It's what they're recruiting in to cause the repairs, potentially. That's correct. All right. And that's the sustained effect of stem cells and why we don't need to see them be around for more than a couple days. So now that we know kind of how things work and what potentially the stem cells are doing, how do we obtain the stem cells in order to inject them? Uh, presently, for FDA compliance, uh, you are limited to either using bone marrow concentrate, in which case, if you take about a 60 mil aspirate from your patient and concentrate it down, you're getting about 40,000 stem cells. We don't know the magic number that you need, uh, but that's a common criticism of bone marrow concentrate, that you don't have very many stem cells, or there's all these adipose uh, tissue-derived uh, lipogems would be the most common one that's used currently where you take... Um, 
lipoaspirate from a patient and you micronize it essentially with this uh, table side method and then you can inject it back into the knee or the shoulder. So those are the two current ways to get stem cells that are approved by the FDA. Okay. So both of those would involve uh, some type of surgical procedure, either a bone marrow aspiration or some type of liposuction or something along those lines. Yeah, that's correct. And both of those people can do in outpatient settings in your clinical office. Uh, They don't have to go into the OR to have either one of them done, Uh, but they both do require some type of invasion, I guess you would call it, some type of clinical procedure before the injection. There are people uh, working on, and in Europe, there's a group called Adipo OA led by Frank Berry, Uh, And they have adipose-derived true stem cells, so they're cultured out uh, adipose-derived stem cells, and they have the best evidence that stem cells work for mild, moderate, even some cases, severe osteoarthritis. That's fantastic. Now, I know there are also some other products uh, in a similar vein that are more just a scaffolding. Uh, Can you discuss the literature uh, as far as those goes and efficacy comparatively to the stem cells? such as something like Amnion? Correct. Yeah, Amnion's a great uh, controversy. We have a clinical, not a clinical trial, a a laboratory investigation right now comparing 11 different Amnion products. And it's interesting, obviously, what the companies claim we're not finding at all. Uh, There are cells, but none of them are alive. Uh, So I think oftentimes they... They, meaning the companies, kind of prey on earlier literature that was published. So fresh amnion definitely has stem cells, as does amniotic fluid. But we've been unable to document that there are live stem cells in any of these products. They do have, uh, we've done proteomic analysis as well, so we can tell you every single protein that's in all of these amnion products. Uh, They have low, low levels of growth factors, uh, but they have other intriguing things like lumican, which is a small leucine-rich proteoglycan that's important for cartilage, new cartilage regeneration. And a lot of them have a lot of lumican. So it's hard to know when you have a 1,000 proteins in a product what the most important part of it is. Um, so I think the amnion, the amnion field is the Wild West right now. So some promising literature kind of looking at all of these different things. Looking forward, where do you see this, this field going? Obviously, it's probably a little bit early to, to be overly committed to any one specific product or cell line, uh, but I think all of it needs more research and will continue to grow and develop. Where are we moving? Where do you see us in 5, 10, 15 years from now? Yeah, gosh, what, I, what would be really nice would be an off-the-shelf product that everybody could store room temperature and take off the shelf. So, for example, as you may or may not know, uh, the Department of Defense has scooped up all of this company's off-the-shelf platelet-rich plasma. So they have uh, essentially three lyophilized platelets. So if, if you are out in the Mojave Desert and your mate or we have a nuclear attack, then we have these lyophilized freeze-dried platelets. So they're stored at room temperature, and you can reconstitute them. And they are actually active, so then you can have some clotting function of your blood after a nuclear attack, or you could use that to, for injection into intraarticular injection. Uh, so some way to standardize what, the, what you're giving to the patient would be very nice, uh, whether it's Frank Berry's bone marrow-derived stem cells. 
but the other thing that we're really trying to work on is the is the patient side of things. What on that personalized medicine side. So let's say if you want to harvest adipose tissue or make platelet-rich plasma or bone marrow concentrate, what is it about you, Devin, that makes you a good candidate to receive that? What What is that one signature that says you will respond to this test? And so that's the side that we're really trying to take from as well so that I don't know that we're going to get to an off-the-shelf with the burdensome regulations of the FDA. So my approach is more to try to understand what patients will respond and what patients won't respond with a more sensitive method than a Kelgren-Lawrence scale or an, a radiograph. That would be amazing. I really hope we get there at some point in time. That would certainly help us on the ground day to day treating our patients. Uh, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with the audience or anything we've missed that you think we should cover? I think we've covered a lot of information. I would I would suggest for people to keep their mind open about regenerative therapies. There's a lot of skepticism, and, and rightfully so. I would very confidently say that they're safe. I think that there's very strong evidence for platelet-rich plasma in osteoarthritis. I think there's strong and growing evidence uh, for bone marrow concentrate and uh, the lipogems, the adipose micronized tissue uh, for osteoarthritis as well. In all of those areas, the evidence becomes a little less strong because we haven't been looking at it as long in tendinopathy, uh, and then even a little bit less strong in muscles. Uh, But I think it's not just the present. I think these regenerative therapies, these orthobiologics are the future, and people should be looking into them as a way to provide long-term relief of pain, restoration of function, and trying to restore homeostasis of the joint, none of which are afforded by corticosteroids or lidocaine injections. Absolutely, I agree. Non-invasive, non-surgical approaches are going to save our patients a lot of time, rehab, and frankly, uh, seem to be more beneficial. Yeah, I, actually, it's a good thing you said about rehab. I I don't want to suggest that any of these are a substitution for rehab. I think it's a way for us to get our patients to rehab faster and stronger and earlier and, and retain and maintain and, and regenerate that muscle strength that we all need. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. This has been extremely beneficial. Uh, I'd also like to thank the listeners for their time. I hope you've found this Uh, to be educational. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not reflect the official policy or position of the AMSSM, the member institutions, the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Or Cornell University.